0: Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God. For it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Well hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, reclaiming the Bible and exalting Christ one verse at a time. My name is Tyler and I am excited to be with you this Sunday afternoon as we continue diving into the Book of Romans and subjecting our thinking to the authority of scripture over all things. We have been plowing through the Book of Romans for quite some time now. We're coming up to the tail end. We'll we'll be wrapping up Romans 13 in the next week or so. And this passage here is very Interesting, it comes after the discourse on um, submission to government. And it's interesting that he places it here. But Paul has some important things to say to us in Romans 13. And so without further ado, let us read Romans 13, verses 8 through 12. And he writes, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So he's talking about fulfilling the law through love. It is important, I think, to understand what Paul means by fulfill. In the Greek, um, we translate it as fulfill, but they understood that word to mean to make full, to fill, and that has very prophetic undertones to it. Um, and so he begins this discourse by saying that the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Well, who loved us first? Christ. So how does Christ fulfill the law? And to that, let us look at Matthew chapter two, verse sixteen. This is short. This is around the time of Christ's birth, uh, when he put on flesh and he dwells among us Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And so that word fulfilled um, is to make full the meaning that Jeremiah was when he said that. And this is very much what we see in the Gospels. Time and time again, Christ is making these prophecies full through himself. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So, long ago, God spoke by the prophets. But now we have Christ, who is greater than the prophets, who is the essence of what the prophets pointed us to. Um, John Owen, in his commentary on Hebrews, explains it in this way. The revelation of God's will under the law was given at many times, but under the gospel, in one dispensation of grace and truth. There is one way by which the gospel is made plain to us, and that is through Christ. While Christ made the things of God plain to people in the Old Testament through various different methods, it all points us to Christ The one dispensation of grace and truth. The Jewish understanding of the term fulfill meant to draw out its fullest meaning. Christ made the Old Testament prophecies full. He is the meaning. Such is it when Paul invokes that same wording in Romans. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The law finds its meaning in Christ, therefore it's out of our hands. What remains in our hands is to love each other. When we come to Christ with faith and repentance, trusting in Christ for salvation and for deliverance from our sins, we, in essence, lay our burdens at his feet and take up something new. Matthew 11, verse 25-30 through 30 says, At the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, That you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children yes father for such was your gracious will all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we lay down our burden, and we take up a yoke. And there are a couple of different ideas as to what kind of yoke Jesus is referring to. Um, We often think of like a big oxen yoke, when you um, link the two oxen together to drive the field. And often we hear this passage um, in terms of we need to team up with Jesus. I don't personally believe that's the image Christ is trying to draw. Because there was a human yoke, it was a big bar you'd put over your shoulder and you'd hang buckets from either end of the, the, uh, the bar. I believe that he is talking about an individual yoke, an individual burden that we are carrying. But Christ calls us to lay that down and take up his yoke, which is different, which is lighter. That in that yoke there is joy, there is peace there's rest romans 8 tells us so then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god we come to christ as the sinful wretches that we are and we lay down our wretched and sickly burdens and christ The king and heir of all things, as it says in Hebrews, places his indelible mark upon us. And the Spirit of God indwells us and enables us to do what we once were not able to do. Consider the words of the Apostle Peter. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, And steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love so because of what Christ has done because of what God has wrought within us through the cross through the atoning death and the resurrection we can love each other Christ loved us amen hallelujah That while we were yet sinners Christ died for us while we were still selfless he gave while we were still helpless He gave himself as a ransom for us. Christ loved us, and the overflow of that enables us to love others. Once our capacity for love was carnal and two-dimensional, but in Christ we have the ability to love as he loves, agape love instead of phileo, which is to say love like God loves rather than brotherly love because when Jesus told Peter, "Do you love me?" He says agape, which is the Greek word for the love that is in God. Most people in that Greek context use that word phileo, the love of brothers. But Jesus is asking, "Do you love me? Do you love me like I love you?" Are we on the same page here? This is what we're bringing to the table here with fulfilling the law through love. Are we loving as God loves, or are we loving in a human, carnal way? Romans 13, verse 9, because of what Christ has done, we can love each other. Romans thirteen nine. for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The law is the transcript of God's moral character, as Bonson once famously wrote. The law shows us what God is like and demonstrates the standard by which men are made right into sight. Truthfully, we can not be, and God has not and will not lower his standard for us. However, as Christ said, the law is characterized not by our outward goodness, but by God's. Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the outside, the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's, it's easy for us to look at the Pharisees in the New Testament and think, they are so full of themselves, I'm glad I'm not like that, and we exactly missed the point. Because we think we are good. We think that we have it all together. We've got it all figured out that we are the pinnacle of goodness and righteousness. The law tells us what is right, but the New Testament shows us who is right. And unfortunately, it's not me. Christ's righteousness makes full the law and leads us to live as he lived. Christ loved first, and his followers will likewise, that through the gospel, through what he works in us, through atoning for our sins, and placing his indelible mark upon us as his ransomed people. We have the ability to do what we couldn't do. That we can be righteous, not because of anything we have, but because of who Christ is and what he has done. That we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And that transforms everything we say, do, and think in light of that. Hebrews chapter three says, therefore, holy brothers, you who shared a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glorious the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Our hope is the superior of the world who has granted us the opportunity to abide with him and bear fruit. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the characters of the Old Testament. He's greater than us. So when we look at the law, first of all, it's a mirror by which we find ourselves to be unrighteous. But it's also a window by which we view the glories of Christ. And we have to balance those two. Because we can't trust in ourselves or trust in other people that we think have it all together because they don't. Jeremiah 17 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. When we abide in Christ, in the person and work of Christ, we are a tree planted by the waters. That is sustained by Christ, by his righteousness, by his grace and truth. And that comes from the spirit, not the heart. Consider what Jeremiah says a few verses later. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. As the partridge sitteth on eggs, and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches, and not by right, shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at the end shall be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And so the heart is not where it's at we in america we hear plenty about following your heart and pursuing your dreams and what the heart wants it wants and all these weird things that don't really make any philosophical sense but the heart is deceitful which is why we must walk in the spirit not the heart not the feelings but in the the verities of god the love that God calls us to is from the spirit not the heart it is rooted in the verities of God that are a benefit to my soul we live by the spirit let us then keep in step with the spirit a life that is pleasing to God is a life that is led by his spirit galatians 5 says but the fruit of the spirit is joy is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Um, This is the fruit of the tree planted by the river. This is the fruit that we bear in fulfillment of the law, according to our abiding in Christ. And on this, Dr. J.V. Pesco makes an astute observation on the nature of love. And he writes, To love is not to be filled with a warm, fuzzy emotion, Though I am sure at times it can involve such feelings. Rather, at the center of love is sacrifice and selflessness. Christ's own love for us is manifest in that while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Love is one of the chief qualities that must mark God's people, which is manifest in a love for God, expressed through obedience, as well as a love for one another. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, First John 5, 2. That love is rooted in Christ. It is the outpouring of, of God. We could not love God before, but now we can. That Christ died for us when we were his enemies. But Christ has brought us into his fold, into his house and we have been brought to a point where we can love God, that he's done something in us that enables us to love God and to love other people as he has loved us. Consider the words of Charles Spurgeon. Um, I, one one book in the Bible that I frequently return to for bits and pieces for meditation is Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon is an odd book. It's, um it's, hebrew love poetry but it's a typological that is it's symbolic of christ's love for the church and charles spurgeon makes comments on verse 4 of chapter 3 when i found the one i love i held on to him and would not let him go which is what christ has done with us and spurgeon makes this remark I can at this moment think of many reasons why I should not, why I should love the Christ of Calvary, but I cannot think of one reason why I should not love him. If I turn to what I read about him in this blessed book, it all makes me love him. If I recall what I have experienced of his g- grace in my heart, it all makes me love him. When I think of what he is, what he did, and what he is doing, and what he will yet do, it all makes me love him. I am inclined to say to my heart, never beat again if you do not be true to him. It would be better for me that I had never been born than that I should not love one who is so inconceivably lovely, who is indeed perfection's self. This is, the, this is Christ. This is the Christ who has loved us while we were yet sinners. And everything in this book shows us that he is worthy to be loved. So we love others because Christ loved us, that he puts that kind of love in us for other people. And then Paul closes out in these last two verses with somewhat of a a sense of urgency. But besides this, you know, the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul urges us to do these things, to love each other because of a coming hour. And that Greek word where we, that we translate as hour um, is hora, which is where we get the word hour. But in Greek, it means a set time. This word hora is used somewhat sporadically through the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek copy of the Old Testament. But it occurs most consistently in the book of Daniel during some of his visions. And Daniel is a challenging book. Um, if you read commentary after commentary after commentary on the book of Daniel, you are bound to find many different interpretations and perspectives on things. There's m- much room for disagreement in the book of Daniel. But in, chapters, but in Daniel chapter 8, verse 17, reading out of the Septuagint version, it says, And he came and stood close by where I was standing. And while he was coming, I became bewildered and fell to my face, and he said to me, Understand thoroughly, son of man, for this vision is yet for the duration of an appointed time, of a horror. Daniel was given many visions of God's just wrath upon heathen nations such as Babylon. But the meaning of these visions was not for Daniel to know, for they were for an appointed time. And the same word is used by Paul, and we can't ignore its origins. What Paul is describing here is an appointed time, like the prophets spoke of. So, what appointed time were the prophets speaking of? They were talking about the day of the Lord, about the coming judgment, about the coming of Christ's visible kingdom on earth. So, what shall we do in light of such an appointed time? 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty four. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. In short, wake up! Romans thirteen eleven. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's calling for growth, because the day of judgment is coming. So let us love our neighbors now and lead them to Christ while there is time. Let us grow in his grace. Let us be further sanctified by his will in order to bring others to Christ. This is an exhortation to the one who believes but does not repent, to the one who knows this to be true but wrestles in his flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For our sake he made him to beat sin who knew no sin, So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's, again, a fulfillment of prophecy that... The time of salvation through Christ is now. And often we, become, we can become paralyzed by the weight of what we know. There, there are times where we hear the gospel and we're convicted of sin. But we're so overwhelmed by our sin we don't know what to do. And I, I believe that this is part of what Paul is anticipating when he's writing this portion of Romans. That he's writing to Christians that need to go deeper. But he's also writing to people that are wrestling with the grace of God. John Bunyan, um, famous Puritan writer from yesteryear, wrestled with the gospel for two years before he came to Christ for deliverance. In English, we understand salvation to mean the act of saving. In Russian, I found this interesting: the word for salvation literally means rescue, because make no mistake, we are rescued from sin. And Paul, desc- um, John Bunyan. Describes it this way in Pilgrim's Progress about um, the rescue and about um, his wrestling. And so Bunyan describes it this way in the Pilgrim's Progress. Sir, I believe, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die. And after that to come to judgment. And I find that I am not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. Then said Evangelist, why not willing to die since this life is attended with so many evils? The man answered, Because I fear that this burden that is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave, and I shall fall into Tophet. And, sir, if I be not fit to go to prison, I am not fit to go to judgment, and from thence to execution, and the thoughts of these things make me cry. Then said Evangelist, If this be thy condition, why standest thou still? And he answered, Because I know not whither to go. Then he gave him a parchment roll. And there was written within fly from the wrath to come so in short evangelist is helping christian work through um what he needs to do he is paralyzed with fear about the judgment of god he knows that this is real he knows that he is a sinner but he is paralyzed with fear of what to do and evangelist is helping him work through this because there is a way out. There is a rescue from this. That it's not said and done. It's not a done deal that you're, 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 you're dead in your sins and there's no hope. There is a rescue through the person and work of Christ. And he's, he's exhorting Christian to run to the cross while there's still time. So in short, we are provoked to love as Christ has loved us. As an outworking of the salvation that is available to all that repent and believe that Jesus is Lord. To provoke others to seek Christ, like evangelists to Christian. His atoning death on the cross not only clears our sin from the record, but also through the work of the Holy Spirit enables us to live the life that we could not live before. One that honors God through our obedience. Galatians 5.24 will be closing with this. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that He has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with Himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, You can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, You can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section... Um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay that is something that I've written that is something God laid on me to write and then send out and so I'm not making anything off of it I'm not selling it it is free for you to read and share we need a further saturation of the gospel in our world in our culture and it starts right here Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy, transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4